Welcome to the Middle East Report Special Edition. I'm John Riley. Each week, I help you make sense of what's happening in that region through a biblical lens, security threats, archaeological discoveries, biblical prophecy. Those are just a few of the things that we cover. And the main purpose of the Middle East Report Special Edition is to encourage you to read, study, and apply the Word of God in your life. And the best way to do that is to connect to the people, places, and geography of what we read in God's Word. And today on this edition, we are going to do exactly that. We are going to connect to the the people of the land of Israel, those that live there, those that work there, and we're going to find out what's happening on the ground from a dear friend of mine, Chris Mitchell. He is the Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News. Chris, thank you for joining us directly from the land of Israel. Hey, John, it's great to be with you. Chris, we appreciate what you do so much with uh, CBN News, CBN Israel. You and your team there in Israel do a tremendous job of keeping everybody informed of what's happening in that area of the world. Before we talk about you know what's been happening there in Israel with the war and a lot of other things we want to get to today, tell us about CBN Israel and what you guys do. Well, John, we, uh, we've been here for 23 years now. Uh, we have a staff for about a dozen people right now, and we do two shows a week called Jerusalem Dateline on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, you can get that on JerusalemDateline.com online or go to the uh, CBN YouTube uh, website, uh, and we try to keep up with what's happening. We also do stories, obviously, for CBN's main program, which is the 700 Club, uh, and we've been doing um, daily updates almost every day since the war began. Uh, so it's especially now since October 7th, we feel our calling is even more urgent and more significant, more important because of what's happening here in Israel and around the world to get uh, what we hope is a truthful and accurate picture of what's happening to Israel and the people and uh, in the whole region. Chris, you and your team do a tremendous job. And those of you who are listening today, and I know Chris probably wouldn't want me to say this, but Chris is well-respected as a journalist, as a, a broadcaster there in the land of Israel, in fact, all over the Middle East. And this week, Chris, you actually were at a foreign press conference there, and I believe it happened in Jerusalem. You were on a panel. Tell us about that gathering of uh, foreign journalists and give your take on, you know, some of the basics that that was discussed there. Well, it was a really fascinating uh, event, and it was at the Friends of Zion Museum I'm, uh, here in Jerusalem. And it started off with, uh, they had a message, a greeting from the President Isaac Herzog. They also had a very moving uh, presentation by the general that's in charge of coordinating the families of the hostages and, and the government. And he just talked about how important a job that was that they were working 24 seven to get more information about the hostages and trying to do what they can to comfort and uh, aid the families of the hostages. Also had a presentation by the IDF chief spokesman uh, to the foreign media is uh, Richard Hecht. Uh, and he talked about fake news. And one example that he had, John, was Back in the early days of the war, there was a report that a uh, the IDF had hit a hospital, Palestinian hospital in Gaza, and that 500 people had been killed. 
some of the main networks, I think BBC and CNN ran with that story. But it was several hours later when the IDF came out with information and evidence that that was untrue. It was not an IDF strike. It was actually a strike by the Islamic Palestinian Jihad. Uh, an errant rocket hit a um, hit a parking lot and 50 people died. That's tragic, but it certainly wasn't 500 and it wasn't the IDF. So he made a presentation. The panel I was on was with um, several, three journalists and two spokesmen. One is Elon Levy. Many people may have seen him on the 700 Club or on other news networks, but he's one of the main spokesmen for the government right now. And uh, he just very eloquently explain uh, the case for Israel. And one of the main points he's making lately is that this is not a war Israel started and not a war Israel wanted. And uh, they're doing everything they can to protect civilian casualties. Uh, and according to the uh, statistics, and as he pointed out, you know, any life lost is, is a tragedy, but they're the percentage of combatants to civilian casualties is quite low and uh, almost as low as any other conflict, if not if even lower. Uh, also, later in the uh, program, John, there was a panel from many of the families of the hostages, and that was led by Joel Rosenberg. And I'm sure many people uh, listening know of Joel for his, his Rosenberg report on TBN and many of his uh, novels throughout the years. And he just very sensitively talk to many of these families whose whose families are still in Gaza right now and also interviewed the father of an IDF soldier, a Christian soldier who was killed in uh, the fighting there in Gaza. And he just very um, emotionally expressed why they have been here living in the land for so many years and why they felt that they and their son in particular should, you know, support Israel. So it was a very moving time. And it's, uh, you know, to hear these firsthand stories uh, is is very moving. And that, that's some of what happened uh, last night at the Friends of Zion Museum. Yeah, what an amazing conversation there with uh, everybody in that room. And, you know, uh, you mentioned something that the spokesperson for Israel said that this is not a war that Israel started. And yet, uh, Chris, it just seems like there is so much pressure from the world on Israel to hurry up and get this war over, especially from the Biden administration. Uh, They're publicly saying, oh, we support Israel. But then, you know, you go behind the scenes a little bit and it's like, hurry up. Why isn't this war over so much? Yeah, very. Uh, that that's been a theme for almost since the very beginning. At the very beginning, uh, it, President Biden came here and uh, paid a personal visit to Prime Minister Netanyahu and the leaders here in Israel. Uh, there was a suspicion by some at the time that maybe this um, very warm and, and open um, support for the, for the Jewish state was comes with some strings attached. Uh, throughout this time, uh, this almost four months now, uh, there is a sense that the United States wants uh, Israel to hurry up, finish the war. And part of that, some believe, is motivated by domestic American politics. We're in a presidential campaign. And because of the support of the Biden administration, which I would add that 
many Israeli leaders are quite openly uh, so grateful and thankful for the support, the weapons, the, the ammunition to keep this war going, uh, the diplomatic support in the UN and other places. Uh, but also, as you said, there's this undercurrent of let's get it, let's get it, finish this because there has been, as you know, such great pushback from the progressive wing of the Democrat Party, from Arab Americans. And uh, there was a column not too long ago, just a few days ago, by Michael Freund, who is a political analyst. And he said, really, part of this has to do with Michigan. And Michigan has a large Arab American population. It's a very key electoral state in the presidential campaign. And uh, he's losing support. Biden is losing support there. So you know, what's going on here in the Middle East is affecting uh, domestic presidential politics and the electoral map. So, yeah, that's certainly been one of the main themes, I think, happening here between the U.S. and Israel is this hurry up and, and get it done. But I would add, John, that it looks like uh, Israel is doing is progressing fairly well in uh, southern Gaza right now. And some people estimate it might be just a few more weeks. So Khan Yunus, which is where they're operating now in southern Gaza, may actually uh, be mostly in IDF hands in several weeks. Well, there's uh, one update there on one front of the war that's happening in Gaza. But as we know, Chris, there are many fronts to the war. What are what are some of the other things going on on the war fronts? You know. John, this this is unprecedented. I don't think Israel's faced anything like this. And when I've been thinking about it earlier today, you know, when you look at the images coming out of uh, Gaza, and they're they're very uh, tragic for what's happened to many of the people in Gaza. And you might think that Dave uh, that Israel is sort of the Goliath, and the Palestinians are the David. But when you look at the larger picture of the Middle East, you look at all the fronts that Israel is facing. First of all, in Gaza, trying to eliminate Hamas from being a threat to Israel any ever again. You have Hezbollah on the northern border. You have Iranian-backed militias in Syria and Iraq, which we can talk about later, but the, the attack on the uh, American base in Jordan over the weekend that was tragic. You also have the Houthis down in Yemen. Uh, and then you have Iran, which is sort of the master... Uh, the puppet master throughout all of this. And you also have the lawfare that, that is being, uh, Israel's being accused of genocide in the International Court of Justice. And then on another front, you have all the rallies, pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian rallies uh, in cities around the world. So there are so many ways that Israel is under threat right now. And the Jewish people and that's why many people say this is, you know, an unprecedented and also an existential uh, threat. And I would add one other front, which be Judea and Samaria. Many people know is the West Bank, where Hamas has great popularity, and there are terror cells there that uh, are actively wanting to uh, commit terror attacks here inside Israel. We're talking to Chris Mitchell. He is the Middle East bureau chief for. CBN News, and I want to encourage you to connect with what they do there. JerusalemDateline.com is a great place to go. They've got a, a twice-a-week show that you'll want to watch. You can watch it online or 
you know, through the CBN channel, however you want to do that. But go to JerusalemDateline.com, JerusalemDateline.com, and you can get some information about that. You know, I, I saw another story that you all were covering, and they ha- that had to do with UNRWA workers and their tie to terror. So first of all, a lot of people don't know what UNRWA is, and then just break down that story just a little bit for everybody who's listening. Sure. UNRWA uh, is the abbreviation for United Nations Relief and Works Agency. It was established in 1949 after the 1948 War of Independence for Israel. Uh, It really began operations in 1950. Uh, It was established to help the Palestinian refugees of that conflict in 1948 uh, that ended in 1949. And uh, during that time, there were many Palestinian Arabs that either left uh, their homes or they, because of the war, uh, were forced out of their homes. That has been an issue ever since, till today. Uh, And there are critics of UNRWA which believe that it has been perpetuated. In other words, it is the only agency just for Palestinians. Every other refugee in the world is under the United Nations uh, High Commission for Refugees, UNHCR. Uh, But UNRWA has a special uh, mandate just for Palestinians. They also have a different definition. In other words, the normal definition of a refugee is that it's uh, once you leave the country, you're the refugee, and if you or these refugees pass away, the refugee count will go down. But the definition for Palestinian refugees is that not only for the refugee, but for their uh, one generation after another. So what began as, I think, 200,000 refugees is now 6 million, uh, and it just keeps growing. And the contention for many who criticize UNRWA is that it's really just a political organization designed to reverse uh, what happened in 1948-9 when Israel was established as a nation uh, and a political tool to do that. For example, many of these, uh, for example, those 2 million Palestinian refugees in Jordan right now. Uh, And also, when a refugee goes to another country and becomes a citizen of that country, they're no longer considered a refugee unless you're under UNRWA. So 2 million Palestinians in Jordan are considered Palestinian refugees. So the other thing, John, that really is something that a lot of people are criticizing, and we've been doing stories on this for many years, is that the UNRWA curriculum in their schools teaches that one day they will be go back to their homes and they can destroy Israel and kill Jews. Uh, we have done an interview with a man named David Bedeen for many years. He has gone in with a camera crew and talked to these children. And what they say, John, is that's exactly what they want to do. They want to kill the Jews. And that's part of the curriculum of UNRWA. And what come to a head is what happened on October 7th. Actually, at least 12 and maybe as many as 190, according to a Reuters report, that uh, were either linked to Hamas or actually participated in October 7th in kidnapping. And they were located by their cell phones 
in places that were people were getting murdered and raped. Uh, so this has come out in by the New York Times, by the Wall Street Journal, by other reports, and uh, and now finally the world is really paying attention. So that's why the United Na States and many other nations have uh, paused their funding, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. Uh, there's one expert we talked to that said, well, these investigations have happened in the past, and they've sort of said, okay, we'll, we'll fire the bad apples, but uh, let's just keep going. And John, we're talking about millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that goes into UNRWA to uh, perpetuate this idea, this theme for many generations that Israel should be wiped off the map. And I know during uh, former President Donald Trump, he eliminated funding to that organization, as I understand. And then, of course, uh, the current President Biden uh, upped the amount that, you know, he wanted to give to them. So and then, as you said, there's a pause. So it is crazy. And of course, the definition of refugees that you gave earlier here is also crazy. No other country has that kind of definition. So it's uh, pretty bizarre. So let's talk about uh, the attack on the United States military there in the Middle East, over 160 different attacks. Then, of course, what tragically happened recently there in the Middle East. Yeah, there was an attack on Sunday, apparently a drone from uh, the Islamic resistance of Iraq uh, sent a, a suicide drone into what's called Tower 22, a base right on the inside Jordan, but right on the Iraqi-Syrian border. Uh, apparently, According to the Wall Street Journal, the drone followed a U.S. drone and uh, the base couldn't detect which was friend or foe. Regardless of how it happened, uh, it killed three U.S. service uh, men and women, uh, wounded more than 30, some with very serious injuries. And this just raised the stakes for the United States. Uh, as you said, there was more than 160 attacks, but nobody have had died uh, since those attacks began back in October. So now that three service men and women have died, then uh, the United States really needs to take action. There's the sense here, John, that uh, it has to be serious uh, to deter these militia groups. Iran is denying any involvement, but most everybody knows these Iranian-backed militias take their orders from Tehran, uh, same thing for the Houthis in Yemen. So right now, President Biden has a major decision to make, how he's gonna respond uh, without being too strong and break out into a regional war, and but not be uh, too weak that would just encourage uh, more attacks like this. So if there's a, a massive response from the United States, uh, how do you think that will affect Israel? Well, I think um, it might <laughs> it might increase the war. Uh, it could heat up the uh, the northern border if it can get any hotter, uh, and there might be other ramifications uh, throughout the region. Whether whether it's a direct confrontation with Iran, I don't know. But um, this is, I guess, everybody's waiting and to see exactly what President Biden has said. I, I've read a headline that says he's already decided what to do. Uh, but we'll see exactly what that looks like. Well, all the more reason to, you know, pray for what's happening in that part of the world, pray for our U.S. military that's over there. And on that note, I, I want to just give you, 
you know, an opportunity to just encourage our listeners out there who love Israel and, you know, they may, they may want to help, pray, stand, you know, spiritual considerations on, on what's going on, on there in the land. I know that CBN does a lot there. What, what can you say to, to, the, to the Christians who are listening right now? And they're, you know, they're thousands of miles away from what's going on there in the Middle East, and they, you know, they don't know what to do. Yeah, well, I think it's so important to be praying, as it says in Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, if if people want to help practically, as you said, CBN Israel does a lot here in the land. Uh, right now, one of the outreaches they have is providing trauma counseling to many Israelis who are very, many are suffering from PTSD. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing, and it's the good friend of mine, and I know you know Robert Stearns, is since this has affected the Israeli people and Jewish people around the world, is to encourage Jewish neighbors or maybe a local synagogue to call them, encourage them, tell them you're praying for them. Uh, we cannot underestimate uh, exactly how much October 7th and the fallout from that has affected the Jewish people. Uh, there was one story that uh, Robert Stearns told us, actually he said it today on the 700 Club as well, uh, that some Jewish leaders have told him it's so scary that they wonder if people, uh, would there be anyone that would hide them? And that goes like to the Holocaust day. So there's a very important time uh, to be praying, to be active, and to be supporting the Jewish people. And so I think that's so important. I was on that panel that you mentioned, uh, John. They, one of the questions they asked the panelists and two of the, the journalists, they said, well, how do you deal with what's going on? And I said, well, we pray. Uh, we pray daily here as a, as a staff. Uh, we pray before we go out to stories. Uh, we pray for God's protection. And, uh, you know, despite whether or not it's a dangerous situation or not, if you're in God's will, if you're where he wants you to be, uh, you can look up. Uh, and for his protection, like it says, uh, where cometh my help? My I look to the hills from when my help comes. And also, you know, in the times that we're living in, John, they it's it's these are the signs of the times, and that's when Jesus said to look up for your redemption, draweth nigh. And that's a very encouraging thought, uh, even despite these very challenging, difficult, and perilous days we're living in. That's Chris Mitchell. He is the Middle East bureau chief for CBN News and. They are so well-respected there in the Middle East for their truthful reporting on what's going on in Israel. And, of course, CBN News in general, just a tremendous news organization. And I want to encourage you to please connect with CBN. And one of the easiest and simplest ways to do that is to go to JerusalemDateline.com, JerusalemDateline.com. If you go there, that'll just take you everywhere you know you need to go regarding CBN. One other question, this is a political question now uh, that I want to ask you before we, you know, end the show today. And it has to do with whether or not, you know, there should be a Palestinian state. There is a drumbeat in Washington, D.C. from Democrats saying we need a Palestinian state. We need a two state solution. That's nothing new. But what's your perspective on that? Well, I know the Senate, I think a lot of senators, uh, Democrat senators behind this. John, I don't think it will ever work. And I, I tell you why. Uh, 
The Oslo Peace Accords were signed in 1993 on the White House lawn. That was the precursor to a two-state solution. The state that the State Department is advocating is would be led by the Palestinian Authority. If you go to a website called palwatch.org, which is Palestinian Media Watch, you will find that Mahmoud Abbas, who's the president of the Palestinian Authority, and many of their political and religious leaders advocate for killing of Jews, uh, a one-state solution, uh, Palestine that would replace Israel. And and yet it seems like the State Department either doesn't aware of this, which I, I find that hard to believe, or they're ignoring it, uh, or they're advocating this two-state solution. But it hasn't worked in 30 years, and I don't see any possibility of it happening. I can't, after October 7th, there's no appetite here, John, in Israel for a two-state solution uh, with the Palestinian Authority or any other entity. And it's really chilling to know that in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, most Palestinians favor Hamas, and mo many of them approve of what happened on October 7th. Now, this is the kind of state and the people of that state that the State Department is advocating. I don't think Israel's going to accept that at all. Well, the Palestinian Authority run by the president, or, uh, Abbas, uh, he is like in his 20th year of a four-year term. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, there hasn't been elections for the Palestinian uh, population there. And just recently I saw one Palestinian official who said, well, look, if there are elections and Hamas, you know, wins, we're just going to turn it over to Hamas. I mean, what Israel's not going to go for that, as you said. What, what, that's an awful future, and Israel will not will not do that. Exactly, they they won't accept a, that kind of a Palestinian state. I I tend to believe. I, I know that official said they would give it to Hamas, but I tend not to think they would. I think maybe he's saying that for public relations idea, but. The reason that Abbas is in the 20th year of the four-year term is because he knows that if they did have elections, Hamas would win and they would be thrown out of power. That's what happened in Gaza Strip, actually. In 2005, there was a disengagement. Uh, Israel pulled out completely from the, from the Gaza Strip. It was taken over by the Palestinian Authority. And then Hamas, in a coup, very violent coup, took over in 2007 and since that time have been building the largest terror base in the world. And for people who say that, you know, uh, Israel's occupying Gaza, they weren't in Gaza since 2005. And uh, it was all completely run by either the Palestinian Authority or Hamas. That's Chris Mitchell. He is the Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News. Chris, I so appreciate you giving us this update directly from the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. And I want to ask everybody to pray for your team there, for what you guys do. JerusalemDateline.com is the website, JerusalemDateline.com. And Chris, thank you again for all the work that you and your team do there. You guys do a tremendous job. Tim, thank you so much. Great to be with you. That's Chris Mitchell, the Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN. And I want to encourage you, reach out to them, JerusalemDateline.com. That's the Middle East Report Special Edition. You can get a podcast of the show wherever you get your podcast or on all the major podcast platforms. And you can also go to AFR.net, click on the podcast tab, and look for the Middle East Report. Thanks for listening. I'm John Riley.